Welcome back to the Coffee Clats Crew Game of Thrones episode review. This is season five bonus episode. I'm Jason Pistorino. I'm Christina Lomangino. And yes, don't be confused, folks. It's still us, Coffee Clats Crew. <laughs> this is actually a video that was created by Stephen Jace, who painstakingly recreated the exact opening from the show and paired it with an 8-bit audio by Paul LeBlanc for the ultimate Super Mario Bros. Game of Thrones experience. <laughs> Nintendo style. It's very cool. If you, um, I guess you could just Google it or go to YouTube. You'll see it. Just type in Game of Thrones Nintendo style. Uh, it looks like an 8-bit game, and he really recreated the whole that opening sequence. That was amazing. Sequence. That was very cool. <laughs> so we're back, as promised, to give you a little of bonus content for season five. We have some fun facts, some differences from the books that we may not have discussed, and a few other things to share with you. Sharing is caring. <laughs> so Jason, I think you found some fun things out about the TV show that we didn't know before. Yes, but uh, let's start with something that's not a fun fact. It's actually the opposite of fun. Um, oh dear. Recently, I think it was by now is maybe a month ago or at least three weeks ago, one of the Game of Thrones editors, Catherine Chappelle, was killed by a lioness in South Africa Safari Park. Oh my God, is that real? It's real. She was in South Africa working as a volunteer at a different reserve, one dedicated to saving rhinoceroses and elephants. Oh my goodness, that's horrible. Uh, and she had hoped to make a movie about animal poaching. We're looking at the pictures online. Are those the lions that are trying to come in through the car window? Yeah, so I guess she was at this reserve to look at to look at the lions. And you've seen on TV where they have these parks, essentially, that are just open. There's no cages. Yeah, safari type. Yeah, and you drive in, and you're told to keep your windows closed. And for the most part, lions, they're now used to seeing these cars, so they leave yeah, it alone. Yeah, they kind of ignore you. And this one... Apparently, she opened the the window to take a photo, and the lion. It's a there's a lion and a lioness right there. And how did it get in there without her being able to like drive away or something first? It was so fast. There's no <sighs> video. There was just a there's a picture of a guy in the car behind them that took the picture. The lion is in, mouth is in the window. Oh jeez! And it bit her. That's horrible. Bit her whole shoulder, and and uh, she didn't survive. And she's young. Yeah, 29. And this is, I'm reading, north of Johannesburg. So after the first bite, the lioness retreated from the car with blood dripping from her mouth and paw. Uh, we all thought she was done and didn't like what she just, and like maybe she just didn't like what she bit. The lion, into. right, yeah. like that was it. And then like someone in a temper that wasn't satisfied in a fight, she leaped back into the car and mauled the oh, passenger. Geez. But yeah, you would think, like, why didn't... She's a passenger. She's in the backseat. Why didn't the driver just take R off? Right, yeah. I'm assuming it was just so fast. Scared and shocked, obviously caught off guard. Yeah. So that's oh, a, a bit of bad news. Well, geez, as if GOT wasn't bad enough, can you give us some good news, please? I thought at first it was fake, too, but then I was like, they would have said dragon or something. Yeah. All right, so on to some good facts. The season five finale broke the TV series' all-time live viewership record with 8.11 million people watching the initial airing. Who? 
And the Game of Thrones wiki page also broke its day after viewership record with 3.4 million site views within a 24-hour period after the episode initially aired. So they keep going up. It's there's no sign of slowing down. And that's pretty good because I thought that there was going to be some poor reception to the season finale, but the day after it was still breaking records. And online, so yeah, this just goes to show this show is going to be something that we talk about to our kids. You know how Star Wars is still talked about, there's and Star Trek, there's yeah, still Trekkies conventions and stuff. So this is going to be something that's talked about forever, and essentially, in, in, well, hopefully they don't ruin it like they did in Star Wars, <laughs> but. Uh, they could go on with, you know, side stories and yeah. things going on. Yeah, I think it's it would be different here because it's not like trying to build something out of nothing. We've sort of talked about this before, paying homage to George R. R. Martin, that he has, in essence, created this whole fantasy world that is so rich and complex. We constantly just want to know more. So yeah. <laughs> there's about a million different ways they could go with keeping up with this. Hopefully we will enjoy next season as much as we have enjoyed it so far. I think even if they were to go downhill from this point, I would still remember it as one of the best shows. Yeah. And uh, the second part with the Game of Thrones wiki also breaking records, uh, that's everyone freaking out that Jon Snow is dead. Oh, of course. And trying to find <laughs> we out gotta, what happened. What happened? Is he going to come back? Yeah. <laughs> Tell me he's still alive. So, Yeah, we'll touch on that again a little bit later in the podcast. So as a whole, I think that was great season ending. Yeah. Was it your favorite? Season? Or at least season ending episode? Hmm. You know, I haven't actually thought too much about that. I really liked the way last season ended where I felt as though so many characters were off on their own journeys and just embarking on things that I didn't really know where they were going. Tyrion traveling to Marine, Arya boarding a ship. It ended on a much more hopeful, we're going on an adventure type of thing, whereas this felt very somber. So I would have to say probably not, but I still enjoyed it. And also with Daenerys taking over, like that was like a hero moment. Yeah, riding away on the dragon. I know that wasn't in the season finale, but still. No, I mean last season when she took over that city. Oh, yes, absolutely. So we're like, oh, yeah, yeah, she's moving up. Absolutely. Oh, I have this idea. for. (laughs) Now work with me here before you just shut your brain off. Okay. (laughs) Okay? Uh, Another show, a side show. Maybe not HBO. No, yeah, let's do it, HBO. They have a reality show spoof. About Game of Thrones, and it's as if the Game of Thrones characters were shooting a reality show. Okay, and this what, is what fresh would they be my, doing? And this is fresh on my mind because uh, we're watching Wayward Pines, and there's a show that airs directly before it. Yeah, where we and always catch that last two minutes of it. Yeah, and I don't know the name of it, and I don't care to know the name <laughs> of it. But it's like these Southerners who are rich. Yeah, and it's about their life. They're basically trying to do the Kardashian thing, but it always we always catch it at the end because we're turning it on for. Wayward Pine. Yep. And they're always in their bed. It's always yeah, like, like the whole family so with the grown adults and children yeah. and everything. Yeah. So it's fresh on my mind. So we would have, I mean, I haven't really thought it out. I just thought of it now, but, you know, like Daenerys is walking around and like, it'd walking be a around spoof. her pyramid in Marine yeah. and what's happening day to day with her there. Yeah. And like, she's fighting with the, with the dragons and she's like, I just don't get it. <laughs> like, you know, a total spoof. <laughs> 
I think it would be hilarious. Maybe just well, a few episodes. We're talking about not killing the Game of Thrones empire here, Jason. <laughs> yeah, it probably wouldn't work out. I just had the thought, and I thought it'd be fun. Jorah actually gets kicked out because he gives Daenerys the clap. And she's very upset with him. Which is grayscale. Of course. Oh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and she complains. You know how they do uh, in reality shows, they t- there's confession booth. Mm-hmm. And then they just basically are just talking to us. And mm-hmm. like, I had to get rid of him because he gave me the clap. <laughs> All right, stupid. I'm sorry. Well, I, I think the thing is we always want to know more, especially about the inner workings. So that's the inner workings of the TV show. But I have that same feeling just never getting enough of Game of Thrones. So a while back, I started listening to a few other GOT podcasts that I really enjoy, which I can't believe I haven't given them shout outs yet on here. One of the good ones is called Game of Owns. I'm sure a lot of listeners out there know about it. They've got a ton more listeners than us, if anybody's even listening right now. But yeah, they're, they're a great podcast about Game of Thrones. I had finished all of their episode reviews so I went back to they have sort of like a book club thing where they read through a section of chapters at a time and then they would come and talk about it it was interspersed with some other fun episodes and one of them had the actor that plays Hodor Oh, cool! and he was on for an interview, it was actually a three-parter I didn't really know much about him until listening to this his name in real life is Christian Nairn I think that's how you pronounce it. Hopefully I'm not killing it. He seemed like such a cool guy, really down to earth. It was a lot of fun to listen to that and just cool that he would do something like that. Yeah, I overheard uh, you playing it in the other room. Mm-hmm. And he did seem very down to earth and he was very, you know, he was just chatting with the guys and, you know, he was swearing and just, just like <laughs> as if he was over the phone, but still it was as if he was just hanging out with them. Yeah, just being real. Yeah. It was cool. Definitely worth checking out. And he was he was good with making fun of himself because, you know, he only says Hodor. Yeah. So. And apparently he hears that all the time. Yeah. <laughs> like if he had a dime for every time people came up to him with that Hodor thing. But he had some, and these aren't secrets, but the I never thought of this. Can you tell me about, he was talking about the importance of Hodor and his hair being gray. Yeah, well, there's so many theories out there. And it was more prominent in the books that some of the characters, their parentage and their identity perhaps was uncertain the way it is with Jon Snow. A lot of that revolved around who could be potentially secret Targaryens. There was a lot of hype about Tyrion. They changed things for the TV show. For example, in the books, Tyrion's hair is that lighter silver color that the Targaryens always were. He had mismatched eyes, so one of them was light-colored like a Targaryen. And apparently Hodor had some of those same characteristics, and it meant a lot more, again, in the books. The features and what that meant about your lineage, so all of Robert's bastards having dark hair and dark eyes, and that's why it was such a dead giveaway that his kids weren't actually his kids because they had blonde hair. But there was also, he was talking about the importance of... The name behind yeah, why Hod- people call, uh, why he says Hodor all the time. Yeah. yeah, his name in the books is actually Walder, as in Walder Frey. There, there's a ton of Walders. For whatever reason, Hodor is not his name. It's just something that he started saying a long time ago. And that got people interested in, well, what does Hodor actually mean? And so it translates apparently to something in High Valyrian. 
and I'm not sure exactly what that is. It created a lot of fun theories. You know, is it something important that we're going to find out about later? Maybe, right? Yeah. We're going to see a lot of him next season because we didn't see any of him in Bran this season. Yeah. Yeah, we'll talk about Bran a little bit too before we finish out here. All right, fun fact number two. Uh, Cersei always wears heavy layers of clothing like armor. And even in her sex scenes, it was a conscious choice never to show her with her clothes off. This was decided years in advance to increase the dramatic impact of Cersei's shocking disempowerment stripped naked and marched through the streets. So they really thought that through. Yeah, you know, that's interesting. Before I read about that, I never gave that a lot of thought. But if you go back in your mind and think about all the times that we saw her having sex with Jamie, she was always fully clothed. You didn't really... Even the clothing she wore, in comparison to somebody like Marjorie, was very not revealing. Mm-hmm. There's so so many smart decisions that they make throughout the course of this TV show. And of course, in my opinion, there's a lot more in the books. Volume-wise, you can just get so much more. So many more rich details, predictions... Of course, a lot of that could be red herrings. We could be getting off on tangents that Mm -hmm. maybe might not mean anything, but it's fun to think that they all do. In all of our episode reviews, we do talk about some of the book differences that occurred or did not occur in that episode. There were some that we missed throughout season five, so Mm -hmm. I'd like to talk about them here. The first we have briefly touched upon, it's how badly Cersei has mistreated the small folk of King's Landing. So just the regular people that we don't get to see a lot in the TV. But they were featured in the books. The novels include more scenes around the riot of King's Landing in which peasant women are holding up their dead babies and pointing at Cersei, accusing her that their children are dying of starvation and that she's started this war and doesn't really care about them. If you think back to season two before that, the small council did try to warn her that the refugees were pouring in from the countryside and overburdening them. They talked about how they wouldn't have enough food. She was just sort of like, I don't care. And she agreed with Littlefinger that when winter comes and the poorest starve, well, they'll have less commoners to deal with. And now that's really showing itself to be important with the amount of people who are getting behind the faith militant and why they're growing so large. Another point dealing with Cersei about her Walk of Atonement. There is more history behind this we briefly discussed in House Lannister. To give you the full story on this, Tywin's father, his name was Titus. Supposedly he was a weak-willed man whose inept leadership nearly destroyed the Lannister rule. After Tywin's mother died, Titus took up with a new mistress, a commoner who was basically a step above a whore. In time, she came to control him to such an extent that she was said to be the real master of Casterly Rock. The teenage Tywin later violently reasserted Lannister dominance in the Reign Rebellion, the first major step in almost single-handedly rebuilding their stronghouse again, after his father nearly ended it. After Cersei's grandfather finally died of old age and Tywin succeeded him, he forced Tytos' mistress to make a naked walk of atonement through the streets, humiliating her and symbolically stripping her of any power she once had. Cersei's uncle Kevin helped Tywin at the time and thinks back on this in his POV chapter when this happens to Cersei, and he's thinking that the Lannisters have come full circle, which is pretty crazy. And one last little piece of information, just to get all of our listeners who don't already know kind of caught up with where we stand TV book wise. I I know it gets a little bit confusing 
as far as if we're on the same track or not. People keep saying, yes, we're caught up now to the books, which is not entirely true. Some storylines have pretty much finished up. Others haven't. There's some that are caught up, but we've missed a whole lot of information, so it might end up happening later. One of the big things is that of the six characters who died, quote-unquote, in this episode, only one has actually occurred in the books yet, and that's Jon Snow. Wait, say that again? The six... Of the six characters, you know, that are pretty major that seem to have died in the season finale. Okay. None of those deaths have actually happened yet in the books, except for John. Okay. And that's pretty crazy. Now, R. Martin finished his latest book, right? When's that being released? Well, we know. We don't know that he's finished that. The Winds of Winter. (laughs) And there is no release date yet, so us readers can't get past you viewers yet for the Mm -hmm. first time it is a little bit strange hopefully it is going to be released before the next season airs but i'm not entirely confident of that as far as those characters and plots so let me give you the ones that have caught up with the books john snow in the night's watch danny king's landing with cersei and marjorie littlefinger Stannis and Melisandre, although the battle at Winterfell was different, and like we said, Davos had a different plot. The Boltons. Bran, sort of, although you're missing a really big part of his journey. I think they might go back to that in the next season. And Theon. That leaves you with the characters that haven't caught up yet, being Arya, you're missing two chapters. Sam, his whole voyage to Old Town that we see him leaving for at the end of the season. House Greyjoy, everybody other than Theon, basically. You got his sister had a few POV chapters in Book 5 that we haven't seen. The Riverlands, that would be the Tully's home. And Dorne. Hmm. So that's where you stand with differences book to TV. Now, can I give you something exciting from the books? Please. Just a little warning to you listeners out there if you are still afraid of some mild spoilers, I don't even know if you could say that since we are mostly caught up but if you don't want to hear this, just kind of tune out for a few minutes I thought one of the coolest parts of these novels was the visions and prophecies the things characters see that seem to foretell some of the future, Mm -hmm. I don't know why the TV is choosing not to include that they really have cut down on the amount of magic, supernatural, fantasy type of stuff. I guess they think this falls in with that. To me, it gives you such an added element. I don't know. I There was quite a few characters that had either dreams or visions, people like Melisandre that could see into the flames. One of the biggest ones was Bran. So I'm not going to say too much on his character because we might get that next season. But one of his visions that I thought was particularly cool, he's looking, I guess, into the future. The future, the past, all sorts of things are coming to him. It says, finally he looked north. He saw the wall shining like a blue crystal and his bastard brother John sleeping alone in a cold bed, his skin growing pale and hard as the memory of all warmth fled from him. North and north and north he looked to the curtain of light at the end of the wall and then beyond deep into the heart of winter, and then he cried out, afraid. Um, afraid? What do you think about that, what he's saying? Uh, first about seeing his brother John. He's lying on this cold, hard bed. All warmth is fleeing him. 
So, well, before knowing that he was dead, I would just think that he's forgetting, you know, he's in the cold. He's in the bitter cold Mm. and he forgot what it's like to be in a warmer place. Right. But maybe he's looking at his dead body and all warmth is escaping because Mm -hmm. his body's shutting down. Yeah. And like we said, one of the theories on what could happen to him is that they might put him in an ice cell the way they did with the other whites to see what would happen just in case he changes. So is that him being locked in an ice cell? Oh. Lying on a cold, hard bed. An ice cell? like Those were the cells they kept beneath the wall, kind of like jail cells. Okay. But it's... It's cold because there's no warmth. It's just like sitting in between the wall of ice. So it's freezing inside the cells. So that was a pretty harsh treatment if they weren't going to kill somebody. And they've actually used it to lock up whites that they want to investigate and see what happens to them. Oh, I didn't know about that. Yeah. Either way, it's pretty cool that Bran is seeing this. There's still some kind of connection between him and John, And we're not getting a lot of that in the TV show, the connection between the Stark children. Not at all. We're getting nothing yeah. like that. And there's more in the books, that that bond isn't lost between them, between their wolves. They have dreams they have visions huh the next one is about Danny she's actually had a few the first one it says that night she dreamt she was Rhaegar riding to the trident but she was mounted on a dragon not a horse when she saw the usurper's rebel host across the river they were armored all in ice but she bathed them in dragon fire and they melted away like dew and turned the trident into a torrent this is how it was meant to be the other was a nightmare I have only now awakened. Hmm. I thought that was crazy because the vision starts out like she's taking back Westeros from Robert. That's the usurper. Okay. Then it turns into she's on a dragon and she's breathing fire at these people armored in ice. You know, and, and she says, now this is how it's meant to be. So is that a vision of something to come for her? Yeah, I wish there was more magic in the show. One of the key points of magic that they really missed the boat on, people talk about this a lot. Do you remember when she was in Karth and she was at the House of the Undying, that guy with the blue lips? Yes. And she had yes. to go in to find her trap dragons. Mm-hmm. It was a bit longer, and while she was in there, because of whatever strange magic was occurring at this place, she got a ton of visions, really short ones, one right after the next. A lot of which have happened since then. So it appears that they will probably all come true. I picked out a few, mostly that have not happened yet, thinking, okay, these could be ones to come. One that seems as though it did, a blue-eyed king who casts no shadow raises a red sword in his hand. That sounds like Stannis. We know he casts no shadow now because Melisandre has taken his shadows to make the shadow babies. Oh, okay. And the red sword being his sword, Lightbringer. These other ones, though, I'm not sure. Probably in the future. A cloth dragon sways on poles amidst a cheering crowd. So could that be her banners Like when she comes back to Westeros? A great stone beast takes wing from a smoking tower, breathing shadows. I have no idea. Me neither. A corpse standing at the prow of a ship with bright eyes and gray smiling lips... That sounds suspiciously like something I do not like. Who's that sound like? Like one of the others, perhaps. 
And finally, a blue flower growing from a chink in a wall of ice, filling the air with sweetness. And there's been a lot of talk that that could be John. The flower? Yeah. So he's just going to come back as a flower? No, it's it's a symbol of him. It goes more in depth in the books, but it, it definitely is a way that we know to represent him. And so it's growing from a chink in a wall of ice. Kind of makes sense. Okay. Maybe that beast, that stone beast, yeah, is um, maybe that's Drara with grayscale, like fully grayscaled. Oh my goodness! Takes wing from a smoking tower. Is he riding a dragon? Maybe. Wow. We always we are always looking for those other riders mm-hmm. because of all the prophecies that the dragon has three heads, and so there's going to be different riders for each of her dragons. It's going to be really interesting to find out if that does or doesn't happen in the future. I mean, you've already kind of talked about perhaps Tyrion, perhaps Bran through Warging or something. Mm -hmm. And the last person I have is Melisandre. We have talked a little about her visions before, but these are different ones. She says, while she's at the wall, she talks about this, sleep is a little death, dreams the whisperings of the other, who would drag us all into his eternal night. The dark recedes again for a little while, but beyond the wall, the enemy grows stronger, and should he win, the dawn will never come again. Then she says, she wondered if it had been his face that she had seen, meaning the other, staring out at her from the flames. No, surely not. His visage would be more frightening than that, cold and black and too terrible for man to gaze upon and live. The wooden man she had glimpsed, though, and the boy with the wolf's face, they were his servants, surely. Now, that scares me because I think she's talking about Bran okay. being with the guy that lives in the tree, the man with the wooden face and the boy with the wolf's face. Right. And she's saying that it appears that they are servants of the other, whatever this other, the dark god is. She thinks she's fighting for the light and the goodness, and now she thinks she's caught a glimpse of the other servants. Well, I don't like that one. No, but the last one I do like. She was stronger at the wall, stronger even than a shy. Her every word and gesture more potent, and she could do things she never had done before. Such shadows as I bring forth here will be terrible, and no creature of the dark will stand before them. We had seen a bit more of that in the books. I think you do catch glimpses, though, in the TV series where she's really inadequately clothed for the weather, but she never gets cold. Mm-hmm. In the book, she also doesn't really need to eat much. She doesn't really need to sleep much. She's just a lot more powerful. There's something there at the wall that's increasing her strength. And that could be a good sign for us where Jon Snow is concerned. But it begs the question, why? You know, what is going on there that's allowing this magic to sort of reawaken in her? So you're speaking as if she's not bad. I mean, I'm viewing her as a bad person right now. I know we always have, and I still am not entirely sure. I've said before, I think her magic is real. And from what we've seen, that magic could potentially be used for good or for bad. Yeah, you're right. And also, there's no cut and dry bad guy or good guy with R. Martin. Yeah, never. As soon as we think we've got them figured out, they turn a corner and... I think her coming back with that really stricken emotion on her face might Mm -hmm. indicate she is about to turn a corner, at least in our view of her. Okay. Well, I'm always talking about these things from the books that we don't get. 
I feel like I should be this advocate for reading the books. Like, okay, I'm telling all of you guys this. Why don't you just go out and read the books mm -hmm. and you can find out how cool they are. Let me give you a little bit of a speech here with 11 reasons why you should go out and read the books. Okay. I'm going to try to talk you into it. So, All right, and I'll give you reasons why you shouldn't. <laughs> now, Jason, I know you've been resistant to reading the books from mm -hmm. the beginning, so let's see if my arguments can win you over okay. here. Okay, good luck. All right, number one. It starts out with quotes from George R.R. R. Martin. He's telling you why to read the books. So number one, for the watch, what they said about John when they were killing him, mm -hmm. for the watch was about politics, not a sad orphan. In reference to Ollie. Oh, When they okay. really made it all about Ollie. Uh, it, it was really more of this revolutionary attempt to change the institution. Um, you know, John was... He was a good guy, but he had this unwillingness to explain what he was doing to his men or to compromise. He was really trying to talk them into something very crazy. Leading an army of wildlings uh, <laughs> through the wall, trying to get them to fight for them. I don't think he did a good enough job of telling them what was going on and why this was going to work. And, and no. maybe that's eventually why they led up to revolt they they were looking at him like a misguided tyrant who was going to get yeah, them all killed i agree as well with that definitely he did not explain it enough so the politics of that was better outlined in the books than the tv show number two and he wasn't he wasn't the leader long enough for them to blindly trust what he's thinking and what he wants to do absolutely and especially in the books he was still a pretty young kid Mm -hmm. These are men who have been living on this wall and working on this wall for many, many years. They think they know more about it. Now, another interesting tidbit we haven't talked about here, but other people often do. They make a lot of mentions of the fact that John is the 998th Lord Commander on the wall. Okay. It, it's such an odd number that it makes you wonder if the thousandth Lord Commander will be special in some way. So... Let's say John dies, even temporarily. The 999th would probably be Alistair, mm. right? I mean, that should yeah. be a given. If he comes back, could he then potentially also be the thousandth? Yes, if he comes back Lord as a Commander. different body or a different embodiment. Right, and if not, who would the 1000th Lord Commander be and... Why would that be special? We talked about the fact of maybe Stannis coming back to the wall, and could that be a possibility? It's it's going to be an interesting theory to see if that has any meaning behind it. Stannis is dead, though. Maybe. Uh -huh. I'm I'm one of the big proponents that he's not. We talked about. Oh that right, right. That's podcast. right. Yeah, like her blade hit the tree. Right. She didn't. Um, I'm thinking, wouldn't it be cool if that. I forget his name, the head of the Wild Links. Well, not the head, the one that went with Jon Snow. Yeah, the new maybe head, Tormund. Maybe he becomes it. How cool would that, that be? That would be That's awesome. That's a big pivotal change. So the thousandth being that important. Being that a wildling. Yeah. Wow. That would Bam. be pretty awesome. Mind blown. That's a good one, Jason. So second reason to read the book. Quote, they build them big in Westeros and everywhere else. <laughs> in other words, even on HBO's massive budget, there's still no way to truly capture the vastness of this world he's created or convey all the places that really add a lot of color to the story. For example, people who have read the books, you'll know the enormity of the Rhoyne River, the triple walls of Carth, the Black Valyrian Road crisscrossing Essos, and the ruins of Old Stones. 
lot of places you're missing out on if you just watch the TV show. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Number three, quote, psychological depth, forget about it. All right, TV emphasizes action and explanatory dialogue, but misses the introspection of the POV chapters. A big implement that George uses is that his chapters are often point of view characters switching from, I think almost always, switching from one character to another. So you can see inside of their head that really gives you a deeper insight into the complexity of what's going on with them. Oh, yeah. Well, with any book, the inner narrative, there's just no way to show that in a, in a video. Absolutely. Or movie or show visually. Absolutely. You get a lot more into understanding them if you read. Number four, a more mysterious Game of Thrones. Just a little point here. There are plots that are unknown even now Mm -hmm. in the TV show that you would get in the books. Yeah, there's probably a lot more going on. Number five, what I just spoke about, the role of prophecy. So prophecies, dreams, vision, and magic. Ward dreams of the future, glimpses of the past, altered or left out. If you're into that type of thing. Okay. You'll get more. Number six is they're not dead yet. <laughs> we spoke about that a little before. Characters like Gren and Pip. Those were John's friends that got killed mm-hmm. in the uh, Battle of Castle Black. They're not dead in the books. Jojen Reed, the kid that went with Bran, him and his sister, and he got killed right as they were getting to the Weirwood Tree. He's still alive. Sir Barristan. Stannis' daughter, Shireen, and Stannis himself, all not dead yet in the books. Okay. Well, even if you get one more chapter with them, that's a little bit you're not getting on TV. Number seven, what have the Dornish ever done for us? (laughs) Common complaint amongst a lot of people this season is that the Dornish plotline has sort of been really messed up. Either left out or changed, just not captured right. One of the biggest thing is that they've left out a lot of Prince Doran's children. Arianne, the eldest, his daughter, is the heir but fears for her position and plots to keep it. Quentin is the middle brother. He's sent on a dangerous quest to the east. You don't get either of them. You just we don't get know them. Tristane. Right. right. But I think that this is just the beginning of them. I mean, they ended the season with a big twist by killing Marcella. So mm-hmm. I think next season's going to be more in depth of what's going on in there. I think that was this was just a teaser to like introduce them. I hope so because it really helps highlight the tragedy that has fallen on House Martell since Robert's Rebellion. How they mm-hmm. haven't been the same and the plots they're now planning. Right. Speaking of a huge plot line, number eight is the North remembers. All you readers will know exactly what I'm talking about. This has been completely altered. What's happening in the North? You're missing key characters such as Wyman Manderley. He was also called Lord Too Fat to Sit a Horse. We've mentioned him briefly, an obese lord of White Harbor. Ridicule, but a true Northman. A very strong supporter for the Starks and still has allegiance to the Starks. That leads me into number nine. Just more characters than you can shake a stick at. We just can't get them all in the TV show. There's there's too many. To give you a few examples, the Tyrells. Are missing two sons, Willis and Sir Garland. Danny lost her stalwart eunuch warrior, a man called Strong Bellwas, who loves liver and onions. He was just a cool, 
really round man who used to go uh, bare-bellied with just this little leather vest that barely fit <laughs> him, and he was just a badass warrior. I'm not sure why they took him out of the TV show. Uh, other Miranese figures, such as the Green Grace, the Shave Pate, and Resnack. The North also loses Barbary Risewell, Jane Poole, and Great John Umber's uncles. The Iron Islands don't have Balin's brothers, Victorian and Aaron. And Stannis's camp lost the creepy fool Patchface, plus dozens and dozens more. So if you want that really rich experience of getting to know these sideline characters. Number 10 is a big one. Quote, he dreamt an old dream of three knights in white cloaks and a tower long fallen and Lyanna in her bed of blood. One of the most important scenes of the book seemingly cut from the TV show is where Eddard, everybody's favorite character, Ned, we miss him so much from season (laughs) one. He has a fever dream of the Tower of Joy, where he and six other men faced three knights of the Mad King's Kingsguard. It takes us into the final days of Robert's rebellion, his war for the throne, and it lays bare the bitter memory of the place where only two men walked away alive. Always the question of, does that explain Jon Snow's parentage? There was a scene of a dream that could have really gone into that that we haven't seen. And finally, number 11, just Hollywood can't live up to the power of your imagination. Plain and simple. They're doing their best to honor it, but it will never be the same. Okay. All right. So I can see everything that you're saying, and I understand them. But here's the reality. <laughs> Tell me the reality. Each book looks like a Bible. Mm-hmm. And you're saying True story. there's so many more characters in the book. I can't remember <laughs> the names of these characters that we have now. And now you expect me to remember them while I'm reading, and I don't have a visual cue every time they come on screen. Right. So, eh, that's not going to work for me. Although, to me, reading it over and over again makes it stick in my memory more. But I see what you're saying. Well, maybe if they come out with a uh, Game of Thrones for Dummies, which uses uh, smaller words. Okay, you want the Cliff Notes version of <laughs> well, Game of Thrones? Not even that. Just, just like... I don't know. If it becomes work, I'm not going to do it. Well, that would kill the whole point of what makes Martin's books so spectacular, yeah. though. We talked way back when about how when he developed these books, he set out to create something that they could never capture in a mm-hmm. TV show or a movie. He just wanted to go absolutely apeshit. Right. Let me just think of as many places I can, as many characters... This is my imagination and I'm rolling with it. And there's something about reading that that is truly special, even if you don't remember. There's been a couple of times, I've read these books many times now, there's characters I still couldn't really tell you who they were. Now, when I was reading them, I was thoroughly enjoying them. Mm -hmm. They might not be important later, but I had that experience. I also tried to read The Odyssey again and could not keep up with it. And I stopped reading it. I actually never read that. I think it's really good. I remember it being really good because I had a teacher... This was like sixth grade or no, maybe ninth grade that, you know, we'd read three chapters. Then we'd go to class and discuss it. And then I'd be like, oh, that's what happens. Yeah. (laughs) But that's also because it's like old English. But honestly, uh, maybe I'll get around to reading it someday. You know, it's not something that uh, I think I have the energy to do right now. Well, but what about the uh, the graphic novels? You saw I bought the first one. I those never, look amazing. Yeah. Never got around but there's to the no others. way that they have all everything that's going on in the graphic novel, though. No, but it's one step deeper than just watching the TV show. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You could get some of the visuals that way, too. Like you're saying, it's hard to remember people 
without the images. Right. So you have a little of that there. They look pretty fantastic if you haven't checked that out yet. There's a lot of other cool sidebar type stuff to Game of Thrones that's very interesting and enriches the storyline. And if any of you listeners actually started reading, uh, let Christina know by emailing us at contact at coffeeclatchcrew.com and uh, you can have a little book talk with her. She would she would nerd out on that, so feel free <laughs> Yeah, I would love to do some stuff during the off-season. I know other podcasts really keep consistent with still having episodes mm-hmm. throughout where they're doing book club type stuff. We don't have the manpower to do that quite yet, but maybe a few episodes here or there, we could discuss a little bit sure. about the books. Maybe we could have a caller Q&A. I think Ryan reads. Yeah. Ryan Gemmel. Hey, Ryan, if you're listening, reach out to us if you want to do like a book club type thing. Yeah, and any listeners, if you would want to be part of a call our Q&A type of section, or if you have any other ideas for something that could be fun during our off season, we want to keep up a little with Game of Thrones. We'll miss it. Mm-hmm. We have a few more sections for this bonus podcast. Bonus. The next thing I'd like to go through are the important moments of season five. We did this during last year's bonus wrap up. Okay. Let's just go through them pretty quickly and talk about maybe why they are important. And that will lead us into our predictions for season six. Number one is Reek's Rebellion. So Reek finally... As you put it so eloquently last time, finding his balls yeah. and turning back into Theon a bit. That was a major plot line throughout season five. Really highlighting how broken mm-hmm. Reek had gotten. But the fact that we were looking for those little glimpses of what could be Theon again. And is that going to emerge? We were finally rewarded with that in our season finale. What do you think Theon's role could be for us next season? You know, I haven't thought that far yet. Because um, I don't know where they're going to go. If Do they meet up with... Yeah, Stannis and Brienne, like we spoke about. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, I think it's it's not a light switch. You know, it's not that kind of show. So I think he's going to... It's going to take some time for him to really become a man again, if he ever does. Well, that implies that you do think he'll be around for a while, though. He's not expendable. Well, everyone's expendable on the show. But, um, maybe, yeah, maybe he has to sacrifice himself for her sometime. Mm. Like, they're going to get caught, and he just, he sacrifices himself somehow by... Well, that would be the final redemption for him, Mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I think he ends up being the one that kills Ramsay. Yeah. That would be awesome. That would be some redemption. We need some redemption. I need to feel good about this show. Especially for him and Santa. It's been a long time for that. Yeah. Number two is the flashback prophecies. The vision we were treated to in episode one of Cersei as a child. Mm -hmm. That was the first time they used that device on the TV show of giving a flashback. Right. I think for them to do that, it's going to continue to have importance. We've gotten into that a little before. Number three is the Sand Snakes and the Dornish Presence. They made their appearance for the first time this season. We have gotten way into that. I don't think we yeah. need to really say much more. Well, I think with Jon Snow being, quote, dead, even if he ends up being alive again soon, which I hope, I don't think it's going to happen next season or until the latter half of next season. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot more space now because a lot of last season was Jon Snow. 
Right. So they have more room. They have more time to go into the Dornish story. Yeah, to go into Bran and company Bran as well. that we yep. didn't see at all. Absolutely. Number four, we always got our Westerosi weddings. So this year it was Marjorie and Tommen, <laughs> and also unfortunately Ramsey and Sansa. Mm-hmm. Visually, that was a beautiful wedding outside in that snow. Thought that was nice. Oh yeah, a horrible event, but portrayed very beautifully. Yeah, those trees look badass. Those ancient trees. Mm-hmm. Number five, the Fighting Pits of Marine. We got a couple of glimpses of that. We saw the smaller little pit where Jorah and Tyrion finally reunited with Danny, mm-hmm. and then we saw the bigger pit where they fought. One of the most amazing action sequences, as we talked about, when Drogon flies in and starts burning all the men, and the fighting itself, we discussed perhaps a little bit weak, but yeah. comparatively mm-hmm. to the the episode prior, yeah, yeah. But we did get the one really awesome fighting pit scene where Jorah goes in and just takes everybody out. And yeah. that was that was cool. Number six, Arya goes faceless. One of the biggest. Very cool. And I'm anxious to figure out where that storyline goes. I've been really intrigued with Arya's storyline this season. It was kind of lame for a few seasons because it was just like her traveling and bouncing from one person place to another yeah you know i was amazed to find out somebody said i think she was only in six out of ten of the episodes and even then some of the scenes were very very short it felt like it was so important to the season that i guess it just didn't feel Mm -hmm. brief to me that's because every clip even if it was short it was very important yeah what was going on yeah really impactful very memorable Mm mm-hmm Number seven was the hard home invasion, arguably one of the best scenes of any Game of right. Thrones episode. And that's the episode I was uh, alluding to when I was saying that fight scene was amazing. Yeah. Oh, man. If you can do that, that's what we keep saying. If you can do that, why are you getting other more minor ones so wrong? Mm-hmm. Uh, especially the one in Dorne. Dorne, right. You know, the fight with the Sand Snakes. Mm-hmm. I, I just very yeah, that was weird. Lame. We also got that other amazing action sequence of Jorah and Tyrion on the boat in Valyria. Yes. Again, another beautiful place we got to see that was done very, very right. Number eight, we got Cersei's Walk of Shame. Amazing sequence. Visually, from a character point of view, it was just something we've been waiting on for a long time. I'm emotionally distraught with that that scene. I have a negative... Feel in my head. Why so? Because I was fighting these emotions. I was feeling bad for her, and I didn't mm. want to feel bad for her. So whenever I think of that scene, I have like this weird gut feeling that I don't like. You know, it's kind of like, yeah, it was a great scene, but I, I was emotion. I was just fighting emotionally during that scene, so I have a bad taste in my mouth. I'm so happy you said that. That type of reaction occurred much sooner for book readers. They've been laying the groundwork for a long time, trying to get us to, in some way, empathize. Mm-hmm. With Cersei and see that she wasn't always this person she's been turned into. Right, yeah. Well, she was a bratty cunt of a good young child. Right. <laughs> so they didn't really show so many of the times where you actually could feel bad for her, mm-hmm. such as the, way the whole thing with her and stuff. Well, yeah, and then the whole thing with Robert always being truly in love with Lyanna to the point that. On their wedding night, when they were in bed together, he accidentally called her Lyanna. Uh, 
and just other instances like that where you could see maybe how she became this way. But at the same time that I'm reading it, thinking that I'm going, but I still don't like her. I can't, no matter how much they try to make me feel bad and I feel a little pulled at the end of the day, I still think she's a horrible person. Right. And then also you did state this during that episode podcast. They did not let that linger in the air right Mm. away. As soon as she got past the gates, right away, they show you like the, you know, the typical her again. I think the season should have ended with her walking in and the looks of everybody just not giving yeah. a shit before Mr. Kyburn comes up. Mm-hmm. That's how I think they should. And have they could have even visually shown the mountain or what, what's his new name? Uh, Robert Sir Robert Strong. They could have just shown him. There walking didn't in. have to be any words. That would have been more impactful than this whole speech and then her like looking at him and let's. You know, start right where I left off, you know? You're right. It would have been pretty amazing from the moment she walked in the castle doors if it was just silence for 30 seconds and yeah. stuff occurring and they showed all without those faces. any yeah. sound. Mm-hmm. And then you hear, like, goof, mm. goof of the mountain walking down the stairs. A rewrite HBO. Boom. That would have been sick. You missed the boat. And then I would have uh, felt better. I think that was it, too, is the ricochet effect. Like, you're making me feel bad. I don't like it. I don't want to feel bad for her. And then right away, you didn't even let it linger. I think they had trouble figuring out where to end things. We said the same thing about Danny that maybe they should have just left it with her riding the dragon out because yeah. a couple more paragraphs in the book brought you to another cool ending place. Right. But if they weren't going to do that, it's like they split it halfway and ended on a really weird note. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know. Well, that takes us into number nine, which was Danny takes flight. Arguably one of the coolest moments. We talked a lot about how I thought the CGI just sucked royally for when she actually flew away, and we would have preferred not to see that at all. Maybe just the shadow on the ground or something to that effect. Mm-hmm. But Drogon coming into the pit and everything leading up to that H- was him amazing. yelling at her. I watched it again. Yeah, that was amazing. Just take out the flying, like like we said, so much better. Yeah. And number 10, Backstabbers. The death of Jon Snow, question mark? It wasn't really backstabbing. They stabbed him right in the front. Now, <laughs> let, me, <laughs> let me ask you. Do you think this was you. the biggest surprise ever on Game of Thrones? Because we've had a lot from the death of Ned early on Ned in season one. Ned was the biggest surprise one. for me because I wasn't prepared. Okay. I was like, this, what kind of show is this? Mm. I've never experienced the hero going down, especially first season. I think a lot of people would agree with that. So, you know, uh, Jon Snow dying, I was shocked. But after the shock, I was like, fucking Game of Thrones. You know, so I was like... Yeah, you know the Red I mean? Wedding was probably a similar feeling. Yes. Shock and then fuck How, this. Yep. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I mean, at this point, I think it's impossible to, you know, put those in different tiers. Mm. They're all just full of shock and... and uh, in their own categories, yeah. kind of compartmentalized. Yeah, I think you can't compare them. Hmm. They all die in the end, everyone. <laughs> well, let's not go there. We we next are going to go into our predictions for season six. Before you tell me what you think, we have a couple of news items that could tip us off to things that may or may not happen next season. There will be five directors involved, we know, for season six. There are three veterans Names you will probably recognize. Jeremy Podeswa, Mark Millad, Miguel Sapochnik, and two newcomers. 
a guy named Daniel Sackheim. He's done X-Files and House episodes. Okay. And Jack Bender, who's done Lost. We know that Sapochnik will be doing the final two episodes of next season, and that could indicate that we're in for a big epic battle climax because he always does those really great battle scenes. Cool. Benioff and Weiss have hinted they might return to plot lines and characters previously left out of books. So some of those things we talked about that we didn't necessarily get from the books, the Dornish stuff, the House Greyjoy plot lines. You mentioned before, we have some space to fill while we're missing other characters. They could be filling it in with that. There was a casting call for season six that revealed the next season could feature a pirate. He was described as cunning, ruthless, with a touch of madness. Johnny Depp is playing this role. (laughs) Stupid. Uh, Joanna Robinson in Vanity Fair says the pirate is definitely everyone's favorite eyepatch-wearing uncle, Euron Greyjoy, a.k.a. Crow's Eye, from the books. According to Robinson, other near certainties for new characters include more Dothraki and members of a theater troupe that Arya becomes a part of during her quest as an assassin. So that's kind of cool. Another character revealed in the casting call is a beautiful, intense, and magnetic young priestess. The clip shows a British actress reading for the part of Kinvara, a red priestess who visits Tyrion and Varys to offer help in ruling Marine following the departure of Danny. The addition of a new red priestess suggests that the season might also focus more on the Lord of Light. We're going to see those guys again? <laughs> the Lord of Light? Oh, Beric and Thoros? Yeah. I know I'm obsessed with that, but there's got to be I'm obsessed with it, too. I feel like, if, especially if they're going to get more into this whole R'hllor religion, yeah. they have to go back to them at some point. But, yeah, we got a pirate. Sounds like could be a Greyjoy. Cool. Everybody's favorite Greyjoy, quote-unquote. And we have this beautiful, magnetic, young priestess. Now, have you read about these people yet, or is this future books? The Greyjoy one I definitely have read about. The other one I'm not sure of, and where they talk about Arya joining an actor's troupe, I I haven't, that's totally not happened yet. Another piece of information, the man behind the visual effects for Game of Thrones, Joe Bauer, told Yahoo, for season six, the dragons will again be double in size, spanning 120 feet from wingtip to wingtip. Sweet. That's pretty awesome. Those all give us clues as to what might happen, but there's still a lot of questions. What will happen to Jon Snow? Will Arya be permanently blind or just temporarily? Which characters will go the distance for the entire Game of Thrones? And which characters we have been missing will reappear? So Very intriguing. As a question, Jason, who do you think is in for the long haul? Who Arya. might Who might go all the way? Arya. I definitely agree with that. Um, Jon Snow. <laughs> <laughs> uh, if he comes back, if he comes back, I think he'll. That's yeah. That's it. He'll go all the way. <sighs> Littlefinger. I don't mm. think he's gonna die. Tyrion. Sam. I don't think Sam's gonna die. I don't know how important he's gonna be in the future, but I don't think he's dying. Tyrion. <sighs> I like him too much for him to not die. If I like someone, a character, a lot, they kill him. So. Yeah, but podcasts have been talking about this a lot. If you read the books, it seems like Tyrion is R.R. Martin's favorite character. Like, he really, really enjoys writing him. Mm-hmm. There have been hints, maybe from season one, that that means he will go the distance. 
just because George likes him so much. I think it was inadvertent that we all wound up loving Jon Snow the best. I think he always intended for that to be Tyrion. Okay. And just such a beautiful job being played by the actor on the TV show that that's furthering yeah. that point for everyone. That's all I have. I don't I don't I can't say anybody else. Any other predictions in general for season 6? I think Bran gets way stronger. And we're going to see some magic from his storyline. Um, more wolves. I think uh, this is going to be the season of wolves. Yeah, we will talk about that in a minute. But I, I would love to agree with you. I think that has to come back in some way. I also have to agree that people were very confused about Bran not appearing in this season at all. And they sort of brushed it off the double Ds by saying, you know, the plot line is caught up to where it is in the books. I think this was intentional. Mm -hmm. Leave him out for a whole season. And when he comes back, we see all this crazy shit that's been going on with him at this weirwood tree. Yeah. And the fact that he has learned a lot. I think we're going to see, I don't know if it's next season, but we're going to see the wall be overtaken. By White Walkers. Yeah. And Danny's got to come to Westeros, right? Mm-hmm. That's got to freaking start moving. She's got to get there. Yeah. I'm really to the point where I'm not sure as well, because I'm not virtually caught up with you. As far as book stuff goes, I think I agree with all that. I think the characters we just mentioned definitely will go all the way, perhaps with a few more. I think Cersei's going to die, but it's going to be a while until we see her die. Oh, I feel like that's coming soon. Yeah? In my opinion. She's the main antagonist right now, though. I feel like she's the only one keeping the antics still going in King's Landing. All of this senseless politicking and fighting for Mm -hmm. the Game of Thrones that really is starting to not matter. And other people in Westeros are finding out that that doesn't matter. And I think you have to have that end soon so that the real culmination of what's important can take place. She's really a symbol of that. All right. Unless she just goes down to the bitter end and she realizes when she (laughs) dies in King's Landing's torn apart and that's entirely possible. Yeah, I think you're right, actually. I always wondered in reading the books, too, that it seems like the culmination is set to take place at the wall now. Perhaps we've gotten some glimpses of other magical types of things happening at the wall and beyond, and that could be why. But logically, why doesn't everybody just say, let's start going south to where it's warmer? (laughs) I mean, the cold, the winter, the others. If if that's also scary, why aren't there massive migrations to places like Dorne? I don't know. I mean, in the real world, like, I wouldn't want to live in Alaska, but people live there. They call it their home. Well, yeah, but if then on top of everything you're already going through, these fantasy evil creatures start invading, would you still... Yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it's probably not as simple as just let's get out of the north, but you would think a lot of people might consider that. You're right. A lot of things we will be eagerly anticipating the answers to in season six. One of the last things you mentioned is the wolves. So let's do our final wolf watch. Okay. We talked a little bit about do the dire wolf names have some meaning to the Stark children that they're bonded with? We never really got too far into that, but could it be 
a kind of prophecy for the future of the Stark children, of what's going to happen. If you think about the fact that it all began with the mother direwolf dying and leaving behind six pups, maybe the same way that Ned and later Catelyn died, leaving their six children behind. Hmm. The fact that the direwolf was the sigil of their house and hadn't been seen in so long, it's got to be something bigger. This could be really, really far-fetched, but let's go through them. Number one is Sansa's wolf lady, who died very, very early on. Lady represents the simple, polite, maybe ultimate, quote-unquote, feminine ideals. That could correspond that Sansa started out very innocent in the beginning. A little bit ignorant. She had these ideas about what a perfect life meant for her, having you know, marriage to a handsome young prince, and her head was just full of these dreams. Perhaps that innocence died when she lost her direwolf. And because she never got a chance to really bond with Lady, has she lost the spirit of that which makes her a true Stark? Did it stunt her spiritual growth and her tie to that because she's never had green dreams or anything else like the other children have had in the books? Mm. Number two is Rickon. So this is the youngest kid with Shaggy Dog. On first notice, maybe the least important or the hardest to draw connections to However, like his dog, Rickon started out as a wild, energetic kid. He was just happy, constantly bouncing around Winterfell, a little out of control. He was happy, then confused, then gradually sinking deeper into anger. He's dirty, unkempt, almost a bit of a feral child by the time we see him later. Now he's been removed from his family with an unsure future, and he was never taught to act like a proper lord, the way his dog was never taught to act like a proper dog hmm. and he could just randomly bite people that he doesn't like number three was Rob's direwolf Greywind so Rob lived in a world of great decisions uh, knowing how to fight when he finally took charge but not how to please his loyalists or save his family or necessarily do his duty he was always trying to do what's right and he was winning all the battles but losing the war Both him and his wolf were strong, fierce fighters, unfailingly devoted to their family at the cost, eventually, of their lives. So that's one prediction right there that could lead you into that. The next was Arya's wolf, Nymeria, who we've talked about is at large at present. This name actually has some meaning historically. Nymeria was a warrior queen, an ancestor of House Martell, the people that live in Dorne. She led the Roinar refugees to Dorne a thousand years ago. She was seen as the founder of Dorne and and ultimately the person that unified the realm. Nymeria the direwolf could represent Arya's wild, unbroken side. So early on, Arya had to send her wolf away under a false identity so that Cersei didn't kill her to save her life. And perhaps this correlates to Arya, who has had to flee from her home several times, take on new identities to escape danger. And in the books, Nymeria has become the queen of this super pack of wild wolves. Will Arya do the same? Hmm. Will she become this fierce leader who leads other people into battle? But no one can be a leader. A no one. Yes, but also very on in the books, we got when winter comes, the lone wolf dies, but the pack survives. Will she have to quit her lone wolf ways and go back to her roots? 
We got two more. We have Bran with his wolf Summer, probably the most mysterious and most magically connected of all of these children wolf couples. Bran is Summer. He was born into the season of warmth in the longest summer that we have in recorded history in these books. Perhaps this is what gives him the courage to travel so far into the north, beyond the wall, and into the depths of cold. He's been removed from his family to find this underground role of some powers, perhaps, that could aid in the future. And will it be the force of quote-unquote summer that ends up defeating the long winter? And finally, Ghost and John, both are the runts of the litter unwanted by their families. John is haunted by his own thoughts, black bastard thoughts that are only countered by his ghost, an all-white reminder of his family and his role within it. He has Stark blood, much as Ghost has Greywind blood. He's got the same blood of the pack, yet they're treated a little differently. While the pack is seen negatively by such as Arya, the lone wolf, the mere memory of the Stark pack sustains John during his hardships. If you look at the literal meaning of ghosts, they're the second incarnations of life and a time to remain in the world to complete an unfinished task or business. Whoa. Could second that be incarnation John's of future? Life. And ghosts. Unfinished business. Huh. Well, that's promising. Yeah, a lot of this I took from Reddit and other sites where people were pondering on the same thing. Clearly, this is something that's come up for you guys as well, that it was introduced right away. Season one, episode one, the connection to the direwolves. It can't just be a meaningless thing. But does it go so far as the names of the wolves actually predicting the future of the Stark children? Could be far-fetched, but I think it's a cool theory. I like it. That's all I have for bonus content for season five. So this concludes our season five Game of Thrones podcast. It's been real. <laughs> yeah, it's been a pleasure discussing this amazing book series and television show. It's going to be a long wait till next year. So like we said, we might have a few podcasts here and there on some other topics. Please write in. Please stay connected and let us know what you'd like to see. And in the meantime, we will have our regular CKC podcasts. If you're listening to this from the actual podcast feed of Game of Thrones episode review, we also have a Coffee Clutch Crew podcast. And you can just use, you can find it the same way you found this one and uh, listen to those. They're a little different. They're a little more goofier, uh, but they're just as fun. And uh, like always, thank you for listening. Tell your friends. Don't forget to rate us on iTunes and leave a comment. Until next time, this round is on me. Please hang up and try again.